everybody, and welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an RPG podcast for everybody young and old. RPG fans everywhere around the world, and I guess in the universe as well. Anywhere in the universe. If you love RPGs, this is where you belong. I am actually Nadia Oxford. I'm actually the co-host normally, but today I am hosting because our usual host, Kat Bailey, had the seething audacity to take a vacation. <laughs> so I am here with our senior news editor, Eric Van Allen, who is, uh, he is filling in the role of co-host today, and uh, say hi, Eric. Senior news editor. I've been promoted while Kat is gone. I like this. This is good. <laughs> How Sorry. far up the chain can I get? <laughs> Peon news editor. Oh, wow, so Sorry. close. Like Icarus. I flew too close <laughs> to the sun. Your damn wings melted. Now you're crashing back to ground. <laughs> Hi, yeah, hi, I'm Eric. Uh, it's been a hot minute since I've been on the Blood God cast. It's, you know, uh, y'all have not been playing the RPGs that, that speak to me and my soul and, and oh, who I am as a person. I'm very, very sorry. We'll, we'll remedy that, like, uh, I don't know, a couple of years, I guess. Yeah, in 2021, which is where all the RPGs I play got pushed to. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be happening a lot this year, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I, I live... In eternal suffering, uh, 2020 is my purgatory, and I will never escape it. And I've just accepted that fact now. I'm just I think we are it. all in hellish purgatory. Uh, we're actually in purgatory, just like maybe uh, we've taken a few steps down into hell itself. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not we are saved, um, I suppose it all depends. We'll, we'll see how things go next year, but I'm not holding out hope for a hero here. Why would we? Come on. Did you Why see my, my, my tweet? It's we got one honking goose that's 2020, and then the other honking goose is co op now. 2021's <laughs> coming in. <laughs> the only thing worse than one goose is two geese. We have a, a, a very exciting show today. We will be talking about an upcoming RPG, speaking of 2021, uh, called She Dreams Elsewhere. It's coming to Steam, it's coming to Switch, and it's a very surreal earthbound looking rpg so we're going to be talking to the creator of the game about that mm -hmm. and uh that should be a riot otherwise um if you want to subscribe to our newsletter uh, i do recommend that it is on our, the sign up is on our main site so please do that and uh this week i actually talked a little bit about how much i love seeing rpgs get ripped apart and i don't mean physically because Frankly, as someone who is really into game preservation, seeing even seeing those old videos where people used to destroy systems and, and even bad games for the entertainment of others on primitive YouTube makes me shudder. <laughs> what I mean is I like watching games on Games Done Quick, which is on at the time of this recording. I like seeing RPGs get ripped apart and just for the sake of having them done quickly. Like, for example, I'm watching right now a really fantastic run of Secret of Mana. And just seeing, I already knew that was a bug-riddled game. That's why I love it. But just seeing those bugs exploited and brought out to light, uh, it's its so thrilling. It's so much fun. Eric, you're watching uh, Summer Games Done Quick, correct? Yeah, I've been watching some of the speedruns uh, whenever I get the chance. You know, I tend to have, whenever it's Games Done Quick week, I tend to have the feed up while, you know, I'm working on stories and doing all my normal stuff and even when i'm playing games and stuff this week i've had it up and it's really interesting uh <laughs> i find that if we're talking specifically about rpg speedruns because like there's the classic speedruns of oh half-life we're going to 
clip out of bounds and use the barrels to hop up the sides of buildings and stuff like that. And those are all absolutely incredible. I love all of them. But the interesting thing to me about speedruns is that they are breakdowns of systems that exist. Like when you take an RPG, I think the best example is the original Final Fantasy VII. Mm -hmm. If you ever look into the speedrunning of that game, they use what's called a step counter so that they can calculate out the exact number of steps that they need to take from each area to the next so they can control when random battles are going to happen. I love watching that, yeah. I I see that a lot with the the classic RPGs. Like, I love watching runs of Final Fantasy VI, number one, Mm -hmm. because that game is so buggy that the exploits are incredible. But Final Fantasy IV is another great one because, yes, this debt counter features very heavily into that. And mm-hmm. just they have it worked out to literally like every pixel. And just mm-hmm. seeing them like avoid, like, they have to strike that balance between avoiding uh, battles for time's sake, but also they need to build themselves up so that Lavos or whoever doesn't just like annihilate them the minute they meet. Yeah. I- I think RPG stuff is really incredible. Uh, I wish there was some more delving into some of the more obscure RPGs. I know I'm always going to be the one that's like, nobody cares enough about the Tales of series, but really, <laughs> Tales of speedruns are pretty cool. I follow an event that happens every year uh, that I'm suddenly hating that I can't remember the name of, but they, it's specifically for Tales series speedrunners, and they do a charity thing every year. Uh, and it's really cool seeing how some of those games evolve because that's like a weird amalgamation of both manipulating the RPG systems while also manipulating the combat systems in a way that's really cool. Like I want to see, you know, not just turn-based systems torn apart, but stuff like Odin Sphere would be really cool right. to watch. Speedrun has there been a speedrun of Odin Sphere? There must I be th- one somewhere. I think there's there's got to be one because that seems like it would be a good speed game. I can't imagine the PS2 one is being run, though, because that one's just slow, oh, <laughs> slow, no, no. slow. You, you go PS4 on that, and only because there's no Switch version yet for some uh, reason. <laughs> I would love a Switch version of Odin Sphere Left for Zero. Um, it's so repetitive, but so it's repetitive in a really comforting, good way. Mm-hmm, I love that yeah. game so much when I played it, and I can't wait for the uh, 13 Sentinels to come out. Oh yeah, Katie's preview, uh, which is up on US Gamer right now, uh, it's it's just, it got me so hyped for that game to the point where I'm just like, yes, I need this in my life. This is the game I've been waiting for. There are no other games this fall anyways, so like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't push this back to 2021. <laughs> I need this. I need this so bad. Uh, but as for other things that we need in our life, um, Unit Chronicles is flying in terms of its Kickstarter. Uh, it is meeting all its stretch goals at a really rapid pace. I believe it's something like, as of this recording, the seventh most most funded Kickstarter, game-related Kickstarter. And it's to the point where they now reach the 108 milestone, meaning there will be 108 characters in Unit Chronicles, all recruitable, the way they're recruitable in the Suikoden games, which of course Union Chronicles is based on, but there is a special 109th character as well. And this is just to give the the game the game's uh, creators, all Suikoden alumni, explain. This is to give the game its own identity outside of Suikoden. And uh, it's a little special because the 109th character can't be voted upon. Um, I can't remember when voting is happening. I think at the time of this recording it might be over, so sorry if you were really heart set, you have to had your heart set on that. But... Um, <laughs> 
yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Union Chronicle. I'm really happy doing well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I got to be honest and, you know, admit to the first of my mini sins on this podcast and that I have never played a Suikoden. Uh, That's okay. I, I never played a Tales, so we're even. Yeah, it's it's all right. Uh, well, okay, I'm going to play Suikoden 2, you're going to play Tales of Symphonia, and then we're going to reconvene. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, actually really like that idea. Yeah, no, we should we should actually work on that. That sounds like a not terrible That idea. sounds like fun, yeah. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to. They seem like they're very interesting games, and I think there is that aspect of it that those games are not only hard to find, but difficult to play in modern day you know it's it's not the easiest thing to play Suikoden into i think i have a copy of it on my ps vita that's like the way that's I where i have mine yeah and i have i have the disc it. somewhere yeah it's it's like the idea of this not just being a successor to Suikoden, but a way to bring that sort of style of game forward into a new audience is what excites me the only concern i have right now is the same concern i have with every kickstarter game which is cool they're getting tons of backing they're getting all this money but i think and this might be a, a spicy take but i think at some point kickstarters need to just say okay no more milestone goals or whatever mm -hmm. like we if you want to give us more money if you want to pre-buy in now go for it but we know what we want to put in the game and what's reasonable and you know we're cutting it off at this point because i've seen so many games like bloodstain comes to mind where they had to work for years to get the game finished. And even then when it launched, it didn't have all the features they promised. And they spend the next year talking about like, okay, well, we're finally delivering on this thing. And then we're doing this thing. And if they have a rough launch like Bloodstain did, shout outs to that uh, progress ruining bug that I got. Oh, that destroyed you got that, my eh? game. Yeah, no, it was real bad. 20 hours. Yeah, no. And my entire clear of that game was just wiped because there wow. was a progression thing that just didn't work uh super awesome but because they're <laughs> like if they have a rough launch like that that they're up against the wall having to do both fixes and trying mm, to and the meet content. the backer rewards yeah and so and that's not even invoking the name shenmue 3 <laughs> so oh uh, gosh i actually they actually address that i think in the kickstarter they have like a very solid plan and I, I think they actually address specifically the conundrum of having to fix bugs at the same time as yeah. making content. So I do have faith that they will do right by the fans because this is a whole lot of Suikoden alumni. And let's face it, we do have uh, we have ample lessons on what not to do with oh, game yeah. Kickstarters, cough, cough, Mighty Number no. 9. So <laughs> thanks for taking that first step, I suppose, uh, Inafune, like even though it didn't work out for you, it, you, you taught everyone some very valuable lessons. Uh, but um, aside from Eden Chronicles, we got a, a little more in the way of independent RPG news here. Uh, we had a Nindies, uh, or Nintendo Indie Showcase, whatever they call it, that gave us um, some news about RPGs that are upcoming to the Switch, including uh, She Dreams Elsewhere, which we'll be talking about later in the show, and Haven is, is coming to Switch as well. That looks really great. I can't wait for that to come out. Oh, yeah. Um, Haven has been on my radar for a long time uh, from the makers of Fury, which is a very weird game to go from, like, okay, boss rush action bullet hell game to co-op RPG about two lovers lost in space. Like, that's a, a very large leap, but 
every time I've played Haven, it's felt like a game that will be able to kind of bring all its disparate ideas together into something cohesive. So I'm interested to see how that works. And and really, I was just happy to see an affirmation that it is indeed coming this year, uh, because yeah. as we'll get to <laughs> later on, like everything is getting out of this year. Uh, and She Dreams Elsewhere uh, is another one that I've just heard a lot of buzz around packs and stuff. That one won't be until 2021, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's still one that it's kind of in that vein and when when davion is on here we'll talk a little bit more about it but uh it's in that vein of those indie rpgs that have very strong you know mother uh influences yeah very similar to undertale uh and it, it just seems like a very interesting approach to designing those rpgs and I, you know i'm looking forward to talking to to davion about how all that came together because it's cool it's cool that we have indie rpgs now like that's just yeah absolutely absolutely yeah as a as a long long time rpg fan i'm really excited to see like these indie rpgs thriving alongside the triple a space and uh yeah i'm here for it give me all your rpgs i will ingest them and speaking of ingesting uh we had a stream that showed us a little more of of baldur's gate 3 and its eye leech and all the the good times that came with that I'll say that segue uh, was really unsettling. <laughs> I, I'm really good at unsettling segues. Um, but Baldur's Gate 3, the stream, I don't know, didn't really reveal a whole much beyond the fact that it's coming to early access on September 30th. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, there was a whole sequence where you could kiss a, a troll's foot. And I think that was a valuable bit of information that we learned. Uh, the audience did not, the audience was asked to participate. But thanks to a bad role, the dwarf character who looked like a sad Jesus. <laughs> did not succeed in stealing the ring off the toe of the troll. So he just ended up really licking that foot and giving it a good bath. And I was I was a little disturbed. I think that got me a bit more than the leech. Really licking that foot, you know? You're really licking that foot. That's what we want in a role. I've, the whole time I was thinking there was somebody in a sound booth who they had to tell, like, okay, you're going to make a sound now. <laughs> No, wetter. Yeah, no, how how can we get a prop? Do you have a prop nearby? I'm assuming this was done remotely because of COVID and all that. So so they're talking over Skype or Discord or what have you. And they're like, do you have a prop? Can you do you have any grapes? Do you have grapes in your fridge right now? Can you get a grape? (laughs) Please uh, fetch the grapes. Yeah, it's it was wild. And yeah, like the thing I've liked about Baldur's Gate 3 actually is that uh larian's been very upfront about where development is at especially in the wake of covid like they said september 30th but then they were immediately like that's what we're targeting that might change nobody knows uh and i actually kind of appreciate that because i think again we are going to get to the story eventually but uh there have been some games that have kind of moved dates a few times and it's always been like, oh, well, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And I, I kind of wish at some point they would just be as open as Larian has been. And the stream itself, like, there wasn't a lot that was shown. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I was thinking about this the other day. We haven't seen a lot of gameplay of games that are coming out this fall. Like, a right. surprisingly low amount of gameplay has been seen. And, and part of that is that, you know, we haven't had events like uh, PAX or E3 recently to be able to get that capture and get that footage online and all that stuff but 
Larian's been pretty open with just being like, yeah, you know, that stream wasn't the cleanest stream. They had, you know, they were talking over each other at points and the, the feed Definitely. got a Definitely, and they had a lot sometimes. of tech issues. Yeah, but they're still willing to say, like, we have a product that is working. Mm-hmm. We're going to show it to you. Please understand that it's not perfect. And I, I'm hopeful if for nothing else that this will give people at home kind of insight into what the development process is like especially how games kind of uh, you talk to a developer and you'll hear things like oh it these games did not come together until like the last few months (laughs) yeah yeah definitely it's this sudden like suddenly a switch turns and now you have something that looks more like a playable game when before it was just all these different elements that you were trying to wrangle into one thing and uh yeah i've appreciated the openness in that regard I'm looking forward to Baldur's Gate 3. I actually wonder if I'll be able to play 3 without playing 1 or 2. I should be able to, right? I've I've never played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, which is weird because... Yeah, me too. I like D&D and I've never played it. I'm not a huge D&D person, but... And I'm going to check myself here because this is before my lifespan. And so I always need to double check this stuff. Um, Oh, God. You you, you young people. I know, right? Yeah, so it is a... It was a Bioware game, like Baldur's Gate 2 was at least. And myself, noted Bioware fanatic, um, host mm. of a Bioware podcast. Of I've course. never really gone that deep back into Bioware's catalog to get to those like Black Isle era games, like the CRPG days. I think the closest thing to a CRPG I've ever played is Divinity Original Sin 2, which is like a modern CRPG, but I've never gone back to like Planescape Torment or anything like that. Yeah, that's one I really, really have to play. I have no excuse for that because I'm old I and I was around when those games came out. Mm-hmm. So it's, I need to fix that. It's a weird era that I feel has... It, it, it's kind of weird how it's come full cycle, how RPGs went from, okay, you know, we're very pen and paper we're very top-down isometric uh we're going to be doing dice rolls and stuff like that and then they quickly pivoted to that what people now know as bioware style that mass effect that Mm -hmm. dragon age sort of thing and then lately with the success of divinity original sin like it's been going back in the opposite direction we have games like disco elysium that are much more in that realm of pen and paper style, dice roll style, stat sheet style stuff. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very bad at getting into those games. So I really need to fix myself. I need to play Divinity. Uh, I need to play Disco Elysium, which I'm waiting for that to come on the Switch, which should be any day, year, month. Did you say you hate it, or did you say you love it? No, I said you haven't played Disco Elysium. No, it it's uh, I, I never it. got it. It's uh, I'm waiting so for it on good. Switch. It's so, so good. Oh, I love I that it's game. fantastic. But speaking of games that I do know something about, uh, Sega is, quote-unquote, aggressively focusing on PC ports thanks to the success of Persona 4 Golden on Steam, which, yes, actually did extremely well. Maybe this means that Sega realizes, hey, PC is good. This is a good platform for our older RPGs in particular. Maybe we will get Persona 3 of some kind. I don't know. I am okay with it. Yeah, the, the full uh, statement from a Sega Q&A session was, going forward, we intend to aggressively promote the porting of previously launched titles to Steam and other new platforms. Under such direction, we would like to take multi-platform rollout in account and pr- 
prepare the PC version and others from the start. So that's not only just them saying Steam, that's other new platforms. And that's also mm-hmm. saying like we're going to start considering multi-platform going forward as well, which Good. is all exactly what I want to hear. Um, yes, absolutely. Yes, I am very much looking forward to the just the, the idea of Sega bringing some of its older RPGs to Steam. Um, but yeah, I hear the Persona 4 port is, is very good. Like, technically, I haven't played it yet, so I don't know if my computer can handle it, probably. But uh, I do know that not that long ago, they did a survey asking about what game do you like to see from Sega, and there was a lot of questions about Persona 3 on there. Yeah, um, my brother has been playing Persona 4 Golden on his laptop, which can barely run anything. So mm-hmm. it's it's like a it's a Vita game. So it's true. Like, my my TI-84 can probably have a crack at it. But <laughs> my Commodore 64 can do it, man. Dunking on the Vita on Blood God. Poor Vita. <laughs> I love the Vita. That's how I played one of my favorite weirdo RPGs that nobody's ever heard of. Which uh, one's that? Lost Dimension. I, I've heard of it, but I never played it. It's a fantastic game. I'm not going to spend the requisite 10 minutes to tell you why. Only just going to tell you it's a very <laughs> good game. Did not get its due because it came out like at the end of both the PS3 and the Vita's lifespan. So yeah, nobody played. That's it. a good. That's a good way to get your for your game to be lost to time uh, is to just release it at the end of two console generations. But but that that game is maybe emblematic of why it's important for for Sega and Atlas to be looking at this and saying, you know, we have really good games. Why are we not putting them on more systems? Why are we not? You know, it's like they they people floated want out. to give us money. Like, there are so many games like Persona Arena is one of the ones I think of a lot where that's right. kind of just stuck on a platform right now. And if it was on yes. Steam, that makes it so much easier for everyone to be able to play what is a really really good fighting game so that's that's my hope is that more of that stuff comes over and also that we get scramble at some point because scramble still not over here still want to play (laughs) it's all about accessibility Mm -hmm. the the more systems it's on the better more platforms it's on the better but uh speaking of games that uh will not be easy to play uh bloodlines 2 has had some problems, uh, recently fired its main writer, and uh, nobody knows why, to my to my knowledge. Uh, Eric, you're really the Bloodlines guy. Do you have any insight as to what is going on? <sighs> okay, so if, if I was to construct, just offhand, a, a top 10 games of all time for myself, there is no question that the original Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines would be in it. Uh, I love that game dearly. Uh, I've played through it multiple times. It is an extremely flawed but brilliant game i think it is the ultimate example of a 7 out of 10 that you love in spite of itself mm-hmm. um one of the original writers on that game was brian mitsoda and one of the reasons that a lot of fans myself included had a lot of faith in this new bloodlines 2 was the fact that brian mitsoda had been brought on um right. he helped concoct the original pitch uh there's a very good documentary i believe on no clip about uh them talking about how they came together with the pitch and and kind of put it all together but uh it's i i've 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 talked to a lot of people who have worked on this game in the past through various interviews and stuff that you can find on us gamer um even did a panel with one of them i remember Uh, the panel that was very good yeah uh kara ellison former games journalist turned games writer uh really instilled a lot of confidence in me for this game 
so this kind of coming out of nowhere, especially roughly a week after they announced a delay into 2021. Right. Yes. Does not read confidently for this sequel. Um, yeah. And, and what's stranger still is so the statement from Paradox on the situation is that Brian Mitsoda, who is narrative designer, lead narrative designer on Bloodlines 2, and the creative director, uh, I, I hope I don't butcher this pronu- pronunciation, uh, Kai Clooney, uh, have both been let go, as they put it. We appreciate and value the contributions of Brian and Kai, which were instrumental in establishing the game's storyline in Dark Tone and have helped to ensure that we are making it a true successor to the iconic Bloodlines. So very much like almost giving off the air that okay you know they helped lay the foundation their job is done you know they don't need to hang around uh they're free to explore other options however and that came as a surprise to them yeah so rock paper shotgun uh got comment from mitsoda who said that this was this came as saying that this that this came as a shock to me as underselling it. I'm literally like tripping over <laughs> myself because of how ridiculous this all is. Uh, he said he was suddenly terminated. And I, this is a quote from him. I was not part of the conversations that led to the decision to delay production. And to my knowledge, there were mm. no delays caused by the Bloodlines 2 narrative development. I am confident and proud of the work that I and my team put forward when that work will be seen and what form it will take is unknown to me. And that last wow. part is what really hit me because yeah. they're bringing in a guy who basically seems like a closer, um, Alexander Mandrika, Mandrika uh, who has worked on a number of previous franchises uh, that are kind of all over the board, which really makes it seem like he's a closer. You know, he, he gets brought yes. in to kind of finish uh design and to finish the game and uh paradox even said these changes are focused on one thing to bring you the best possible vampire the masquerade game and i would feel more confident if this was a mutual thing if they were saying like yes our work was done we're good we're out it's you know it's all taken care of we have faith in the team to finish what we started instead it's sudden termination there was a delay that we were not part of the conversation for uh we don't know what's going on we don't know what form our work is going to be seen in uh look the original bloodlines also plagued with tons of terrible things happening and i mean it was it was a buggy game it got rushed it was it had to compete with half-life 2 uh Mm. which you never want to do no and there were a lot of reasons why that game was overlooked and then eventually became a cult classic and a critical darling and and got kind of the status that it has nowadays. I don't like, it almost seems like they're banking on bottling lightning twice in that way. Like, Oh, don't worry. Bloodlines two will be good when it's good. It's like, no, you need to finish the game and you need to do it in the way that you set out to. And I'm just very concerned right now. I, I feel bad for all the developers at the studio who are watching these decisions happen and they've been working really hard on this game and now everything's kind of been thrown into a tizzy and there's no definite release date, just 2021 and there's a new person coming in and who knows what's going to change. I I hope for for their sake and their work's sake that it still turns out well, but this is not like, this is not there's an certain- affirmation. This is this is, there's confidence. definitely a lack of transparency that's very, very troubling. Because as yeah. you said, 
you know, things happen. Maybe, you know, budgets get oversold or, or whatever. So if you say goodbye to someone, that's not a big deal. But the idea is you say goodbye and you say, okay, this is what's happening. You've been great, but we got to finish up with this other guy. I mean, fine, mm -hmm. no hard feelings. But just firing someone and, and that they have no idea why or, or what's going on, like that's uh, that is very troubling for what's essentially a, a kind of a smaller game with a very dedicated fan base. Yeah. And this game was supposed to come out this year. We've seen one long-form gameplay demo of it that I think right. was in 20... I want to say it was in 2019 was when we saw it. Um, yeah, I think so. And so we hadn't seen any new gameplay for a long time. And the most we'd had was this recent uh, trailer that was shown at the Xbox showcase that just kind of seemed like a cinematic sort of thing that you'd see when a game is announced more than yes. when a game is about to come out and all of that just kind of served to i was already feeling a little unsettled about how little we've seen and i the way i always remember it is if i'm looking through our back end for screenshots that we have stored for a game and i haven't seen i haven't you know been sent any new screens there haven't been any new assets put out for a game in a long time i start to get a little worry about where that game is right at that's because fair. Yeah. they're not putting that stuff out there that means that something's a little off <laughs> something's <laughs> something's not right <laughs> i i think that's definitely the word that we use here something is a little off and i, I really do hope it works out i never played the original bloodlines although it is oh, actually on our top 25 so rpgs good. list so uh yeah good. and i'm uh, it's definitely on my list but I'm, I feel bad for the fans that this is just seemingly going so weird. I mean, everything could work out. Stranger stuff has happened at sea, but I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm, this isn't in my, like, my confidence sphere, for lack of a better term. I don't really, I'm not thinking good thoughts about this just yet. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame anyone for feeling that way. I mean, like, the hardcore fans are, are feeling the same way, too. And it's just kind of a situation where this this thing was this wonderful, wonderful game that managed to come out of the worst possible situations. And uh, it's it's the sort of game that just sticks with you for a long time. Uh, it's, it's not perfect by any chance, but the original Bloodlines just really is something that I've never seen anyone else really try to replicate or, or manage to replicate. I mean, its closest comparison, I'd say, is something like Fallout New Vegas, like in that mm. way that it's this open world sort of rpg but also like very narrative focused and like decisions playing out over the course of the game but also just really centered on putting you in a place and making you feel like you're part of a world and not just the most important character in it but you are just another character in it um that's what i always really liked about bloodlines was like you're just some dude that's caught up or you know you're just some person that's caught up in all of this and right you have to try and survive <laughs> like that's that's what it is yeah um, it really seems like the kind of game where you do want a, a really good solid follow-up like you know mm -hmm. a, a Mega Man 2 to your original Mega Man and yeah, just yeah. something that really blows away the fans and perfects everything that went wrong the first time uh but I don't know if it's going to happen here and I feel bad for people like you who just really really looking forward to this between this and Tales of Arise getting pushed to 2021, just not having, <laughs> not having a good time. I forgot about Tales of Arise. I'm sorry. A lot of people did. 
<laughs> Maybe the creators too. Oh shit, we had a game uh, uh, coming out twenty twenty one, guys. Okay, everyone starts scribbling. We gotta get some graphics I mean, up here. It's it was a very similar situation with Tales of Arise, where we were getting into the the summer months and all that, and I was sitting there going, uh, "We haven't seen anything of this game since like last E three. So what's going on? Where's where's the game at? What's going on? And <laughs> where's the game, Bart?" And then Why one day, the you know, they're just all of a sudden like, yeah, we're delaying it. <laughs> Check out Scarlet um, Nexus, which to be I, not to dump on Scarlet Nexus. I think that game looks all right, too. But it was just very funny how there was like Tales of Arise got delayed. And then very in, in a very similar, like close window. They were also like, yeah, check out Scarlet Nexus from the Tales of Vesperia devs. And I was like, you can't do that. You can't. <laughs> Indiana <laughs> Jones did. swap that out. <laughs> Here comes the boulder. That's not how that works. <laughs> the boulder so is 2021. I am, I am hoping and praying for you, Eric, and, and for all your hurts and aches. And I really hope that 2021 serves up something good for you. There's there's still some cool stuff coming. Yakuza 7's on the way. Or That's I should true. say Yakuza like a dragon. Um and there's actually one coming out next month, I believe, called Star Renegades that I played a demo of recently and really enjoyed. It was like a, uh, what if you took an RPG and made it a roguelike with some very like into the breach time travel style mechanics where you're bringing people back through time and all that. But then you also had a nemesis system in it where there are RPG bosses that level up like the nemesis system and get stronger mm. if you lose to them and stuff. And uh, it's... It, it, it's a very unique concept that i'm hoping to to write more about in the future but that was one where i was like okay good there's still games <laughs> that i can look forward 2020 to 2020 is saved the indies will save me <laughs> the indies will save us indeed the indies will save us and we will be moving on to our main topic which is about she dreams elsewhere we will be talking to davion so don't go away and we're back, and we are on to our main topic of the day, which is indie RPGs. They're here, they're cool, they're neat, we want to talk about them. So, to discuss a little more about them, we brought on somebody who actually makes them. Uh, Davion Gooden, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm doing as good as anybody can in this dumpster fire every year, but how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> this dumpster tire fire that never goes out it's a great segue because the segment we just did before this was me being really sad about bloodlines 2 and now it's going to transition <laughs> right into dumpster fire completely unintentional i swear i, I recommend you use trombone.wave in there somewhere <laughs> yeah just throw in a little wah, 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 wah. Uh, Davion, you are currently working on a game called She Dreams Elsewhere. What can you tell me about this game? Uh, yeah, so supposedly I'm making it. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, basically you're playing as a girl named Thalia, and you're in a coma. And you gotta find out, like, Kai got in a coma, find a way to wake up, confront your own inner nightmares, and just have this horrible, trippy experience the entire way. That's pretty cool. It, it kind of fascinates me a bit, because I'm someone who's an extremely vivid dreamer. And um, I, I go to some weird places when I go to sleep. So uh, are you of the same mind? Oh, 100%. Like, I love dreams. I record them, like, almost every night, depending on, like, how, like, lazy I feel in the morning. Oh, cool. That's an idea. I should do that more. Yeah, no, it, do we actually, do we have three lucid dreamers on one podcast? Because I am also an occasional lucid dreamer, and it's so weird to meet anyone else who has weird, like, 
weird realistic dreams and now we have three of them on a podcast this is fantastic this is another po- this is another podcast idea that we got to throw out to cat so she weird, can edit it for us weird dreams <laughs> um so she dreams elsewhere what can you tell me about some of the inspirations because when i was looking at it initially i was like this you know it's reminding me of mother and some of those kind of I guess you wouldn't call them full-on anti-RPGs, but kind of RPGs that are not your standard, like, Final Fantasy, time to save mm-hmm. the world and kill a dragon or a church or a church with a dragon. <laughs> church with a dragon. That's Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> Still got to play that one, too. But um, It's great. Yeah, no, it pretty much, like, takes inspiration from, like, pretty much my favorite RPGs, like, from a kid, like, up to, like, right now. Um, major ones being, you know, Earthbound, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Persona, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I also take a lot from just like other like RPG maker games too. Like um, one of my biggest influ- or biggest two influences was um, Off, which came out, I want to say, it's 2020 now, at least like 15-ish years ago. I'm probably wrong on that citation needed. Um, and that one's <laughs> really cool. It has a really striking like black and white art style and like really abstract atmosphere um and the other one is space funeral which is a game where like none of the like separate elements should work together like the art looks like it's made in ms paint and the music is like from like some 1960s like euro like something uh and the story is just about you like just getting kicked out of your house and like you have to go on a quest to do something which involves like meeting up with like a horse man or horse legs man it's it's really weird but like it's so perfect and it's one of the most like memorable and strange experiences i've had in like just any gaming atmosphere either and and it's free so you know it's just it's little stuff like that like you know i pick up on i'm like yeah like that's that's going in somewhere uh mix with my own like uh, unique creative voice i would say interesting so that was that's kind of the crux of what I wanted to to talk to you about today was this I feel like in the last let's say 10 years or so we've seen a major rise in the development and like profile of independently created RPGs you know things that are not just uh your big budget final fantasies and your dragon quests and stuff like that but uh also games like you know there's Undertale there's Lisa of the Painful there's all these little rpgs that are from independent creators and are kind of finding new ways of exploring the space and using tools like rpg maker so what do you what do you make of all that like what is what has been like the the big takeaway from seeing creators like yourself and and other people start to experiment with with rpgs in their own way separate from what studios have always done yeah i think it's pretty interesting like what's all going on like i think just in indie games in general, there's been, like, a shift from, like, hey, we're going to make, like, these, like, retro, like, throwback type of games to, like, okay, we're going to take those, like, same mechanics, but we're going to go in a more, like, smaller, more personal, more intimate type of direction. And then we're going to just, like, take those mechanics, whatever works for, like, this specific vision, we'll take them. Anything that doesn't, you know, we'll chuck them or transform it into something else. But it's... It's really just been a movement of like just creators like just taking their favorite stuff and like putting their own mark on it, and I think mm-hmm. the mark of post twenty ten uh, shenanigans is just like being more intimate and just more weird in general. So I'm all about that. 
I was actually wondering, um, the color palette, that's like a very kind of ZX Spectrum thing you have going on there. Uh, why did you make that decision? Uh, total accident first. Uh... <laughs> which pretty much describes most of what's happened throughout development all just accidents that somehow just work out um but in this case i was like working on art like one day uh earlier when development was going on uh and i pressed the wrong button in photoshop and it made like everything black and white uh and i was like that's really wrong and like messed up but like <laughs> it also kind of looks dope so like we gotta we gotta go for it it, it does <laughs> that's awesome i love that answer happy accents as a my my good friend, rest in peace, Bob Ross, has always said. And we only have happy little accidents that are on a mistake. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what are some of the struggles you have as, as a creator then not having all the resources you might have as like a, a larger studio? You, you mentioned like you're, you're putting together the art in Photoshop. I imagine you're doing a lot of the work on the game compared to like what uh you know a person in a larger team might do so is that kind of a uh, a roadblock for you in development or is that a little bit more of like a, a freedom it's pretty much a mix of both um so when it comes to the freedom part it's those limitations like I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole phrase of limitations enhance creativity um and going mm-hmm. back to the art style shift um even in that accent i'm like okay this looks cool but like it also helps development wise because like I'm not, like, an artist, like, by trade, so, like, going with that more, like, a monochrome style was, like, okay, well, I don't have to worry about shading. I can, like, you know, <laughs> have to, like, learn how to, like, condense what I'm trying to do and, like, my vision into, like, the most minimalist, like, thing possible. Um, so it's cool to, like, kind of play around and experiment with that. Uh, the downside for everything else is that uh, you are taking the brunt of, like, almost everything. Um, so I have support for music, PR, uh, the console ports, and my character illustrations. But other than that, everything else in the game is, like, on me. Uh, mm-hmm. And that sucks when life gets in the way, especially, again, in a dumpster fire year like this where everything's just on fire. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it just it's, it's often just, like, little stuff where I'm just like, you know, I really want to work on this thing, but, um, like, I just moved into a new apartment, like, this past Saturday, so it's like... I got to get ready for that yeah. and like do other deadlines for like other like marketing stuff. It's, it's this whole whirlwind and I just wish like sometimes I wish I had more help, but I also wish um, at this point in the game's development with like how, like I don't want to say the game's gotten big or anything, but uh, it's definitely progressed past the point where I can't just like be, be the kid in my attic just making this weird game like all to himself for himself. It's like, no, there's, like, actual expectations now, and, you know, you actually finish the game, there's, like, people to coordinate with, and it's just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I guess you have uh, a lot of deadlines to deal with now, especially since the game is coming to, to consoles, and as you said, there's someone else handling that, but there's still a lot of work on your end to get that all done. Yeah, like, even before, like, when we first started the, like, console port shenanigan, um, they were, like, white door my uh, console porting house, they were, like, Hey, um, do you see have like any like documentation? Like, can we get like a design document? And I was like, I have like seven almost filled notebooks, uh, a bunch of random <laughs> iPhone <laughs> notes, and God, God knows how many scribblings just out and about. So you know, it's stuff like that where I have to like learn, like stop and just like you know compile all that together. So, but it's 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 one day at a time. 
Of course, yeah. How do you find the tools are for for you as an independent creator? Because like you, we talked about RPG Maker earlier. Do you feel like there's more support nowadays for people to be able to create their own thing? Is it like easier for creators to kind of strike out on their own and, and learn the tools? I definitely think so. Yeah, like with the way like as tech and software as as like progressed like throughout the past like few decades, like everything's just a lot more like free and open for people to use. Like, I started using RPG Maker when I was in fifth grade, like, just through, like, the free trial. And, like, I taught myself through that. Um, so, I'm like, if a fifth grader can do that, like, you know, a decade ago, then, like, anybody can, like, just pick up, you know, Unity or Game Maker nowadays and, like, just get to work. Especially if, like, the amount of, like, free resource, re- like, resources and, like, just uh, tutorials mm-hmm. out there. Um, so, it's, it's really an easier time for any game to be, anybody really to make a game. Uh, getting the word out about that game... Uh, different story (laughs) yeah i actually really like that we live in an age where these tools like when they first came out i recall a lot of them were mocked like as you're not a real game programmer if you make a game on on, like rpg maker or whatever and then a game like undertale comes around which i think was made in game maker and it was just Mm -hmm. a humongous hit and so it's just now the attitude has shifted where anyone can make a game with whatever tools are available to them. And I, I'm really glad that people are more open-minded about that now instead of being a little elitist like they were when I was younger. Yeah, like, I've always said, like, the engine, no matter what it is, like, it's just a tool. And, like, it's only as good as, like, the person behind that tool, so. Yeah, exactly. That's that's fascinating. Like, the, the idea that I, I also remember RPG Maker as this thing where I was like, oh, cool, I can put things in here and name NPCs butt and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is cool. I'm making video games. But then to see what people have been able to do with it in the time since and the games they've been able to create since is, has been awesome. And I feel like that also lends itself to some of the creativity. Like, you know, some of the games I mentioned earlier, like, you know, we've, I think we've said Undertale probably about 15 times at this point, but uh, games like Least of the Painful and stuff like that, like those are very not what you would consider traditional. And I feel like the format and the fact that these tools are kind of being ramshackled and figured out in, by their own creators in some ways are is what lends themselves to those creative ideas. I, I don't know. If maybe I'm just reading a little bit into that, but do you feel like having that, that ability to just kind of go okay well what can i figure out you know what happy little accents are going to turn into the thing i want to do fosters having an idea having a story that is very different from what everybody else is making yeah that's honestly one of my favorite parts just you know being able to like sit at your computer and being like okay i have no clue what i'm doing uh Mm -hmm. i want to do this one thing no clue how to make that happen uh we're just gonna figure it out hopefully it works it probably won't uh, but if it does, then, you know, we're having a good time. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, we're not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, it, most of game dev is not having a good time, actually. But when it is good, <laughs> it's great. Um, but, yeah, it's just a whole learning process. And as as you learn the program, your, your creativity just, like, I wish I had a more eloquent way of saying it. But, you know, it just grows. It just grows along with you. So you just got to start making stuff. Mm-hmm. What's been your your favorite moment so far in creating She Dreams Elsewhere? Do you have like a moment that is you know like this was the part where you felt like I'm I'm doing a good thing here. I'm I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing here. Um, it feels really good to like see the responses from people, uh, especially when they're like, mm-hmm. "Hey, like I've never seen 
like I've never been so excited for a game where the characters actually look like me and talk like me. Um, mm. And that's really interesting too because I never like expected to do that. I just like I've always just been doing like just me throughout the entire development. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's cool to like just you know take my baby out the house. Uh, and she's actually well liked <laughs> and very popular now, um, which is kind of weird. I was really worried about her for a while, but you know she's she's making it out there. It must have been kind of exciting to see the your trailer up on the Nintendo Indie Show. Yeah, that was that was kind of a trip to watch. I was like, I think that was like kind of when it, like when it really hit that like my game was coming to a Nintendo console, despite like being approved for like almost a year at this point now. So it's. <laughs> it's always weird to see stuff like that but dope oh god this is happening yeah exactly I this. <laughs> oh they set a date that means that it has to come out like in that year oh <laughs> that's that's me whenever like i get a deadline set for like a large feature i'm working on or something i'm like oh that means that i have to finish it by then that means that i have to like <laughs> what like i have to get to that point and then hand it to somebody and i'm not allowed to poke at it anymore oh no <laughs> is that is that kind of where you're at with development right now like you're going like okay well the game is coming out at some point i i think you're only set for for 2021 right now you don't have that like looming exact date overhead but uh is that kind of coming to to a head that you're like oh yeah this is going to be out this is going to be playable by everyone at some point yeah so um the most recent trailer of she dreams it says coming 2019 uh so that was definitely a bamboozle but um (laughs) at this point it's like with the game is like with how the game has progressed like since that point and like what's coming up in the next few months it's like, okay, well, I kind of actually have to finish this game now. Uh, so it's like really like go time. Uh, and also because I'm just tired of this game. Like, it's oh, my yeah. baby and I'm proud of it. But also like, I have like other things I want to do in my life. So if I can get out the house as soon as possible, that'd be great. <laughs> You're 18 now. Get out the door. Or start paying rent. Do something. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of, of Switch, one of the interesting things that I always like asking in indie dev is, is, is Switch still where it's at? Because for a while, you know, I used to joke with people when I did interviews with them at PAX and stuff, I'd say, okay, I'm going to ask the question that everybody asks at the end of all their interviews, which is, <laughs> is it coming to the Switch? And, you know, Switch has been so hot, but I, I was watching your, your GDC talk earlier uh this summer where you're talking about xbox game pass and stuff like that do you think the that things like that are also kind of a good boon for indies to get onto besides the obvious like well we're on switch <laughs> yeah if if you're an indie dev like me who before that and even kind of still nowadays like doesn't really like have like that many resources uh both when it comes to financial and like marketing um and also just being mostly myself uh, it's really dope in that sense uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much that would scale up for like a bigger indie team, but mm-hmm. for someone like me who I'm just making a weird game just for myself and hoping that at least one person buys it because I have student loan debt, uh, it'd be really it's it's really dope. It's worked out so pretty well so far for me. Um, but that's also right now the game is yet to come out on either Xbox or Switch, so it's like, um. I don't really see the results until after launch, but I'm pretty hopeful. Um, 
but I think the next gen consoles might low key take some of uh some of Switch's power right now. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. You know, devs frequently when they're working on stuff, they don't always have the most time to play other games. Are there other games you're playing right now? Obviously, besides playing your own. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always funny. Like just getting that question. I'm just like, yeah, like I have like absolutely no time. But um, during this move, I'm taking like this most of this week off just so I can actually like sit down and like play games for once. Um, nice. So I got into Smash Ultimate like fully, uh, and it's really just yeah. taken over my life. Like it's one of those games where I'm like, I'm gonna play one match online. And then it ends up being two hours later, and I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um, I'm going to start Control and Red Dead Redemption 2 later this weekend, so I can't wait. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Eric and I have like different opinions on that one, but I love that game so freaking much. Yeah, I don't like that game. <laughs> I've heard some hot takes. So I, I hope I'm, you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard plenty of hot takes, so I'm, I'm looking forward to finally sitting down and playing it. Uh, so good. I do gotta know who's your Smash main. Byleth, easily. Yes. Byleth, yeah. really? Nice. So Byleth's uh, Byleth's existence is totally justified then. Yeah, no, I, I was kind of like shitting on her first when she was first announced, and then like <laughs> I started playing her, and I was like, she is dope. She's actually my main now. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I love Byleth. I love Smash. It is. Uh, in my opinion, one of the few perfect games, but that's just me. I'm bad at it, but I really appreciate its existence. I love the reveals. They're just so much fun. They, there's so much energy around them. Sora for Smash. Come on, Sakurai. I know you want Sora it. Sora for Smash. <laughs> when they said, like, we're going to have an SNK character, I'm like, oh, I want it to be the Crystalis guy. It wasn't the Crystalis <laughs> guy, of course. Oh, but it was Terry. It was <laughs> Terry. Terry Bogard. <laughs> Because Sakurai used to hang out at arcades and beat kids at King of Fighters. <laughs> Good for him. I support um, him. I can't believe we've got a Sora for Smash support on here. I'm over here like, Lloyd Irving for Smash, please <laughs> put put my Tails character in Smash. Aww, I take Tails too. One of these days. Maybe. <laughs> I just, I, I'm going to slowly convert everyone I can into a Tales of fan. That's just, it's my goal in life. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, but I mean, if Sans can make it into Smash in whatever possible way he did, uh, you know, we just need somebody from the Tales of team to go beat Sakurai in Smash. And get the <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, Davion, we're about out of time, but anything else you want to talk about, about She Dreams Elsewhere, about indie RPG making, just about where things are at these days, what with, you know, COVID development and all that kind of stuff? I imagine as a independent creator it hasn't changed much about the way that you've been making the game yeah as far as like changing like the actual process of it it hasn't but uh development wise like yeah like being again like a solo dev uh and being in this dumpster fire year uh it takes a huge toll mentally uh and i already like have like a bunch of you know mental stuff going on that i've been dealing with so having that on top of you know corona and that whole fun stuff uh it gets you sometimes um it was more so like when the uh, pandemic like first like started going down but nowadays it's one of those things where you're slowly getting more used to it and finding new ways to deal with it but we're all hanging in there one day at a time mm-hmm. well That's all we can do 
the one thing that will keep us going is that she dreams elsewhere will be out at some point in the future god Davion, I thank you so much for coming on the show today thanks for having uh, me happy to have you appreciate you yeah i'm looking forward to playing the game once it's out oh yeah so am i we will see y'all when we get back from break And thank you to Davion for talking to us about She Dreams Elsewhere. That will be coming out in 2021, uh, along with, uh, well, hopefully Tales of Arise and Bloodlines 2 and uh, all the stuff that Eric has on his Christmas list. I, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> for now, if we want something solid, something that is here, something that exists on this plane, we have the track of the week. Uh, see if you can recognize this tune. the battle theme from Final Fantasy Thirteen. I believe it's called Blinded by Light. Uh, Eric actually selected it for this week. And uh, it's, you know, I have not played Final Fantasy Thirteen yet. I've heard, of course, very divisive things about it. Uh, maybe I'll get to it someday, but I will say that there isn't a whole lot wrong with its soundtrack. And apparently you would agree with me, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I When I was thinking over what track I would want to pick for this week, I bounced between a couple. I think in our DM chat, I was dropping in like the... I like battle themes a lot. I think a good battle mm, theme yes. is a signifier of a good RPG. Um, and, and that's like one of two things I really like about video game music is if you have a good battle theme, you're doing the right job. And the other thing I think you're doing right in a game is if you're using um, motifs and you're using themes... Uh, that are I kind love of, motifs. Yeah, it's, I mean, the easy example again, you know, always bring up Undertale when you're talking about motifs, but yeah. uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen actually makes incredible use of motifs throughout all of its soundtrack. And this game, so when I was younger, I didn't really get into Final Fantasy until Final Fantasy X for whatever reason. Uh, I just remember always seeing it on the cover of Game Informer and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this thing with the blue lion and the, the dude with the cool thing and the girl <laughs> that dances on water. I got to play this. This is the future. Um, it's awesome. And it was the future. I love that game. That is also a game that would be in my top 10 all time if I had to just name it off the top of my head. Uh, but after that, I mean, you had 11, which was the the not as successful MMO uh and then 12 which i think came out much later by a point that i was already kind of moving past rpgs in general and kind of getting into that's more... too bad 12's great oh i know i've I've heard that many times and i do plan on playing it eventually but when 13 started going around it had a lot of the same air around it you know here is this next gen final fantasy and here's mm. lightning and she's doing all this cool stuff check out how cool everything's this trailer is. very shiny 
Yeah. And, you know, I think 13, I've gone through so many ups and downs with it, you know, going from, oh, that game was bad. It's just a hallway to being like, oh, you know, that game was actually pretty good to then going back to being, oh, it's bad. And then I think where I've settled recently is that it was a really ahead of its time RPG that ended up in some ways paving the road for what Final Fantasy VII Remake eventually was. Yes, uh, definitely. You see a lot of those systems in Seven Remake uh, and you can trace a line back to 13, but more than just the systems, the reason why I chose this theme, this this battle music from 13, is that you can also trace the sound of 7 Remake back to 13 because uh, the composer, the sole composer of Final Fantasy 13 was Masashi Hamazu, I, I hope I did not butcher that, um, who was a frequent collaborator with Square Enix, uh, had worked with uh, Uematsu before, even though... Umasu did not have any tracks on 13, which I also thought was just wild. I was like, yeah, there's not any, this, the Final Fantasy guy has, there's not, <laughs> how do you not have he's any been, tracks? He's been, <laughs> he's, he's not exactly retired, but he's definitely like slowing down a bit. I think he took a year mm-hmm. off uh, recently for his health. So mm-hmm. yeah, even Final Fantasy 14, which has an incredible soundtrack, only has like a few contributions by him. Like he does the main themes. So yeah. Yeah. But the fact that this was the sole work of just Hamazu uh, I, I was looking into kind of the background of that soundtrack and how it was put together. And, um, you know, Yoshinori Kitase uh, said they chose Hamazu for the style of work, the orchestral work that Hamazu does. But uh, because he had so much freedom to, to compose his own soundtrack, there's so many different styles. There's like some jazzier stuff. There's some very like J-rock, modern RPG music. There's very orchestral work. But all of it uses these different themes, uh, the cocoon and pulse themes that kind of give mm-hmm. you this through line. And I, I once saw someone say that you don't realize how good Final Fantasy XIII's music is until you're playing the game. And I feel that's very right. true because as good as this battle theme is, I think it's very good. Like the part where the violins kick in is That's just... pretty great. Like about a minute in. It's a very it's a very slow, gradual intro, and even the mm-hmm. intro is fantastic, but once that drop hits, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. It, it reminds me of Persona 5, where you would delay a battle on purpose just to get to the you'll never see it coming part. You'll never see it uh, coming. Yeah, the violin yeah. part with 13 was the same, where I would intentionally make battles go longer just to get to that violin part and then have the battle really ramp up there, because it just it feels good and that violin part mm-hmm. is a motif that's used throughout you go listen to fang's theme which is a very popular uh track from final fantasy 13 and you hear it there too you listen to other music you only hear that theme too and i just love the way that it all weaves in and out i mean it won the the 2010 golden joystick for soundtrack of the year and right in right the time it since, deserves that oh absolutely and in the, in the time since hamazu has gone on to make his own company but he still collaborated with square enix he actually worked on the ff7 remake with uematsu and mitsudo suzuki uh and i think this track is just so representative of why remakes i I thought the remakes music was extremely good and listening back to 13 i can hear that through line of this is where those ideas came in that use of motifs that use of all these different styles that can still sound cohesive in like one place i think a lot of that comes from this yeah absolutely it was a good choice and uh thank you for choosing it you know i'm always happy to talk about music that's that's what we you do. know me too uh we should just have a podcast about like 
RPG game music. We'll we've never already, shut up. We've invented two podcasts on one episode of Blood God already. <laughs> we're we're going to get in trouble. Kat, we have a great idea, but you're editing it all. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the mailbag. Welcome to this week's mailbag, which continues the conversation Kat and I had about the summer of adventure that was in 2000, and Squaresoft released uh, three big games, and that was uh, Chrono Cross, uh, Threads of Fate, and Legends of Mana, which some of you have kind of poked me about for not liking over on Twitter. Uh, in <laughs> fact, the site went down temporarily last week, and uh, someone like laughed at me saying it was because I don't like Legends of Mana. So... <laughs> Everything bad that is happening currently is because Nadia does not like Legends of Mana. But uh, we had a question from Rider Kicker who asked, I am shocked at Kat's admission in the last episode about her pirating of Super Robot Wars W. Uh, yeah, we did have a little bit of a, of a conversation about pirating games and, you know, the legality, <laughs> the, the moral quandary and all that sticky stuff. And what it comes down to is, yeah, when... We did not have money. We we had a tendency to pirate games, and uh, not something I'm proud of. And I'm sure Cat wasn't proud of it either. But uh, eh, <laughs> that's my attitude these days on a lot of things. Eh. I, I mean, look, if I have the Fifth Amendment right to not incriminate myself, <laughs> but at one point when I was younger, I may have had a a, a chip for a DS that allowed me to play some games that we I would not did have been talk at length about the cards for the ds and yeah. how piracy was just rampant on which, that system which was funny because i remember the day that um my my dad came home and was like i was on the plane next to this guy he had a nintendo ds and i look over he's playing a game and then all of a sudden he's playing a different game but i didn't see him swap the cards i was like hey man how'd you do that that's cool and this dude's like, yo, let me tell you about this chip. And my dad was like, so I bought three of them. And I was like, wow, I love okay. that your dad asked. Look, you know what? Like, you go, dad. Good job. I mean, that that was how I ended up. I mean, I ended up buying a lot of the games that I acquired through said chip later on. I still have yeah, yeah. a copy of The World Ends With You. I have several no, I, I think I only have one copy now of Devil Survivor, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor, which was, I never would have played that game had I not just been looking around on sites looking for what's a good DS game to play because I'm a kid who can get free games now. Uh, but, I mean, part of that is also just, you know, it is difficult to find a lot of these games and so those avenues end up in hindsight, maybe not at the time, but in hindsight, becoming a way for preservationists to keep those games alive yeah, for a long time. I agree. Uh, and also just result in a lot of fun where you learn a lot of things about how a game works and and how the process of putting a game on a platform works and maybe learning to read the language before you download a game so you don't end up starting up Golden Sun and then finding out you've downloaded the Spanish version and you don't speak Spanish. But <laughs> <laughs> you better learn fast, Nino. Yeah, it was like I, I started up Golden Sun and it was like, uh, it's, I can't even, I can't remember enough Spanish to imitate it. That's It's terrible, but... Uh, it was like, go, go, wake up. There's something happening. It was the whole scene where your town is like under attack or whatever. I did not play yeah. Golden Sun to remember what happened in Golden yeah, Sun. Yeah, that's all I remember from the game. This, the town was on fire. Like, yeah. like RPG towns, so you just it, don't fire. But it was kindling. all in Spanish, which I don't know, kind of made it 
more interesting i don't know like <laughs> more cultural more fancy if you were playing if, fancy golden sun if anything i felt like i was in the hero's shoes because not only was i in the middle of a town that was on fire but i was being yelled at by people in another language and if <laughs> if you are as hellman's mayo white as i am uh you know that being yelled at in a foreign language is the quickest way for us to be like okay okay what's going on what's wrong what's wrong what do, what do i need to do what do i need to fix it's, it's an easy what way to, to suppress fix? me <laughs> that does that would actually get you like really light a fire under you so to speak if you were a hero like oh god i gotta i gotta do something i, I, I can spit on the fire that's about it but aside from piracy, we also talked a little bit about uh, the Summer Adventure, like I mentioned earlier. And uh, Bobby Watson wants to know, was Vagrant Story included in the Summer of Adventure? I think it was released around the same time, around May 2000, if I remember correctly. If it, I believe it came out before the Summer of Adventure. I'm, and I'm I, fact-checking that right now, don't worry. Okay. Um, February way, 10th, I, 2000 is what we have here. No, that's definitely more of a winter of adventure. Yes, that that is the the winter solstice of adventure. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I man, I'm glad that you were on this podcast because I was not playing. I don't remember any role playing games from this era except for like the early final fantasies i really like lunar if we want to talk about lunar we can talk about lunar i, I mean, would love to see lunar like get a silver star story i never got to play i'd like to see that like get a, a launch somewhere like on the switch maybe we got the grandia collection which was also i think kind of in the same realm of rpg that was maybe popular at the time but did not have the sort of I guess prestige and renown that a Final Fantasy does, so it did not carry forward in the same way. But Lunar was a really cool series that I remember liking a lot, and I would love to see a Lunar collection at some point. But like, it was that and like Legend of Dragoon is the other one I remember because I had a friend who was really into Legend of Dragoon. Legend of Dragoon was one of those those games where like if you played it when it came out and it became part of your childhood, that's how you wind up loving it. Everyone mm-hmm. else was like, "Ew, what is this?" It was it was a. I, I just remember like they were wearing weird dragoon armor and there was like it, it was sort of power ranger stuff going on if i remember right it's all kind of blending together i so when i was younger i i had a friend who had a playstation and a dreamcast which was the ultimate dream right everybody's That's got one cool. console and when you want to play a game you go to that friend's house to play that console or that game you know i had one friend who had Metal Gear Solid, and we would go to his house to play Metal Gear Solid because it was the, yeah, the sneaking around game. But uh, it was cool. My my friend who had the Dreamcast, we'd always go to his place to play his games, and we it, it was weird because normally you'd think like when you rent a game, you'd want to play like a multiplayer game, but we'd rent like long RPGs and just kind of nice. trade off playing them. So that's how I knew about Grandia and and. That was even how I ended up playing through a lot of Final Fantasy VII. The original was I just kind of watched him play it. And I was like, cool, this is neat. This is fun to watch. This is a movie. Yeah, it basically was to my young, feeble mind at the time. I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, bright lights. That's cool. Can you stop using Knights of the Round? It's It takes like 12 minutes. Oh, God. <laughs> um, There's actually in, in Final Fantasy XIV a fantastic twist involving the Knights of the Round. But anyway, go on. But, but yeah, that, that was kind of how I got 
exposed to a lot of this stuff. And so I have very like weird recollections of where I was when I knew these, when I knew of these things and legend of dragon just kind of falls into that weird miasma of, I would kind of like to see that game again, just to better understand whatever it was, (laughs) but also maybe it's better left in the miasma of my memory where it's just kind of foggy and not really concrete in a way that I can like remember. (laughs) That might be also the case with Vagrant Story, uh, which is the original game Bobby Watson was asking us about. I played it. It has a fantastic story. It takes place in Ivalice, which is Final Fantasy XII, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, parts of Final Fantasy XIV mm. as well. Um, has a fantastic localization by Alexander O. Smith. We have an interview with him about the process. Please go read it. It's really is is a great read. But the game itself. It had a lot of pushing boxes, a lot of slow fights, and a lot of upgrading your weapons through a system I never comprehended, so I never got far in that game. But I did appreciate that everyone wore assless chaps for some reason. I'm still trying to figure out what that was about, but I I don't question God's decisions. Just uh, real quick to fact check myself, by the way, it was February in Japan, but May in north america and june in europe so i wonder if that's maybe a factor is that staggered that would yeah uh i I could see why it come under the umbrella then yeah there's i feel like there's just a lot of playstation one era rpgs that have been lost to time in various ways that it would be kind of cool just to see what those are again and kind of recontextualize that in modern day and, and all that but it's also i don't know square is so hot and cold with the games that they want Mm. to to remaster no and the games they want to play like they'll they'll put final fantasy 7 on a microwave but they won't put final <laughs> fantasy tactics on my switch you know it's <laughs> i would play final fantasy 7 microwave edition yeah and you're trying to cook a chicken pot pie and barrett's like hey you should be making healthier choices <laughs> you should be eating healthier okay <laughs> you're right barrett <laughs> you're right barrett's always right yeah that, that's a rule around here barrett is always correct uh, yeah, so I guess that is the mailbag for this week. Thank you very much for your letters, and thank you very much for listening to this week's Acts of the Blood God. Uh, we are, again, an RPG podcast, Eastern, Western, young and old. Everyone is welcome to listen in with us, and thank you so much to Davion for coming on to talk to us about She Dreams Elsewhere, and special, special thanks to Eric for being my co-host. We had, we had some lovely little chats today, I think. It was a good time. I'm always happy to hop on and talk about the the weird RPGs that I like because I like weird stuff. <laughs> You're definitely at... coming at us from a different angle, which I appreciate very oh, yeah. much. Um, I think we have a nice like kind of like trifecta going on here, or not really a trifecta. What's the word I'm looking for? More of a you know the father, son, Holy Ghost thing, where I like I like JRPGs, Cat likes JRPGs, and Western RPGs, and, and you like all the leftovers. Is, wait, so is Cat the father in this situation? Is Yes. Okay. Yes. Double checking. So the father, you're the son, and I'm the Holy Ghost. Okay. You're the Holy Ghost, yes. That's, that's okay, How's because I am everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you are indeed everywhere. So this has been Acts of the Bug God, and uh, if you like us, please leave a, a nice comment, rate us, subscribe, show us to your friends. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, app itunes anywhere podcasts are sold uh please tell your friends about us and please play rpgs and please endure my voice for just a few minutes longer because i'm about to tell you that cat will be back next week so 
if I made a dog's breakfast out of this episode, I apologize. And everything will be back to somewhat normality next week. And until uh, that happens, until everything kind of calms down again, happy adventuring. Thank you.